Four times in my life I have been blessed with the news that I was going to be a father. And each time it was a little different. Sometimes it was a little more planned. Sometimes it was a little more surprising and shocking. But every time there was great joy and wonder and excitement. And, uh, you know, there's always questions you have when you're going to become a father, right? Like, especially the first time. But, but with each one, you're like, how's this going to go? What's this kid going to be like? Who will this child be that will someday call me dad? Well, today we are thinking of a story of a man named Joseph who found out that he was going to be a father, but had a much different emotional journey with that news than what I had. Because his circumstance was very different than my own. So as we jump into the story, uh, we, we need to, to remember uh, that, that this story um, happens in a different time period than our own. And so some of the expectations and some of the words they use, uh, we tend to put our own time and our own understanding on, and, and we, we can't quite get all that. We have to do it on its own terms. And then we also need to understand, and, and this is really important when you read the Christmas story, that the Bible does not have one Christmas story. It has two Christmas stories, one in the Gospel of Matthew and one in the Gospel of Luke. And they're both doing very different things with this story. In the Gospel of Luke, which is what we've been looking at the last few weeks, Luke is going back and forth between Zechariah and Elizabeth, but, uh, Zechariah and Mary, Elizabeth and Mary. Uh, John the Baptist is born. Jesus is born. But, but Matthew does something totally different. And so you almost have to try, this is hard, particularly when you're overly familiar with the story. But when you go to read a Bible story, you've got to try to start by reading it as if you've never read it before. Okay, so if you've never read uh, Luke before, and you don't know the story, uh, then, then if you, you read Matthew now, you get a whole new glimpse. Okay, it's important to understand too that Luke is written from Mary's perspective. So Mary gets a dream, and Mary has to travel, and Mary's relatives. But, but Matthew is written from Joseph's perspective. So in the Gospel of Matthew, we start out with a genealogy, which I know you all love reading genealogies, and you go home and read them all the time. So Matthew starts with a genealogy, and then goes into the story the way I'm going to describe it. But I want you to just realize that you don't know that Mary has been visited by an angel. You've never heard that story before. You only have what Matthew tells you. And Matthew's going to tell you that. But, but um, it's written from Joseph's perspective now. So we're going to take the angle of Joseph's perspective in Matthew chapter 1. I'm in verse 18. If you want to pull out a pew Bible or uh, grab it on your phone or something, that's fine. Um, but I'm going to go kind of verse by verse through here. And we're going to, a couple verses at a time, we're going to get into this story. Matthew 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So again, cultural differences here, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but 
But betrothed is not getting engaged the way you and I think about it. You all have all known people that got engaged and called it off. And it wasn't that big a deal. But in this culture, a betrothal was a legal agreement. It would typically happen when the, when the woman was 12, 13 years old. There would be a, a legal contract. There'd be an, a payment of a dowry, typically, to the girl's family. There'd be gifts given from each family to the couple. And this is, so this is a legally binding thing. So to end it is divorce. To get pregnant while you're betrothed is considered adultery um, because you're not supposed to be together yet, but, but you are, in fact, legally bound. So what would typically happen is there'd be this whole betrothal ceremony, and then something like a year later, there'd be a wedding feast. Okay, so you had a whole year to plan for this big wedding feast, and the wedding feast would happen, everybody would come together, and then the couple would officially be married. But until then, the couple would not be together. The girl would still live with her parents, normally while he was making sure the house was prepared for her. And uh, during that year, they were not allowed to be alone together. Because as you might expect, if a couple was betrothed, but not yet married, sometimes things happened. Okay? So there, there were strict rules about all of this. And so Matthew tells us that, that during this period, before they're betrothed, but they haven't come together yet. She gets pregnant. And Matthew tells you that it's by the Holy Spirit, although we don't in Matthew have the story of the angel. We just have this, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, so Matthew knows she hasn't cheated on Joseph. But it is then considered adultery if she's pregnant. So here's what should have happened. What Joseph should do is accuse her publicly of adultery. It's not his baby. Okay? And, and uh, we don't know how Mary tells him. We don't know when Mary tells him. Okay, we know she spends three months in Jerusalem with her, with her relative Elizabeth. So if you watch movies, you watch plays, sometimes she tells the family and she tells Joseph and leaves. Sometimes she doesn't know she's pregnant yet. The sign of, for her is that Elizabeth is pregnant. So she leaves, comes back, and then she has a baby bump and now has to explain it. Either way, not a real comfortable conversation. And imagine you're Joseph. You are a good and honorable man. I mean, Joseph is described always in the text, and every way in which he acts is incredibly, incredibly honorable. That your wife, your betrothed, is now pregnant. Now, you may have heard a story from her or from her parents about an angel, about the Holy Spirit coming upon her. But let's be honest. Do you believe that story? Okay, if your child got pregnant and brought you back that story from college, would any of you buy it? That is not a story that a lot of people are giving a lot of credit to. So what he should have done is accused her of cheating on him. Okay, if he publicly accuses her, a couple of things are going to take place. Number one, in those days, women can't testify in court. So whatever he says is what is true. And then it would be up to the community to, to judge how they were going to treat Mary. And uh, she could be publicly shamed, and the likely solution to that would be to stone her. That's how they dealt with the, that in this culture. She could be stoned. So that's what actually Joseph should do. Because if he doesn't accuse her, if he just marries her or he keeps it quiet, what's everybody going to think? That it is his, right? 
Like, if he doesn't publicly say it's not his, what, everybody's going to assume that it is his. And a little town like Nazareth, a builder like that, with those kind of rumors, a lot of people wouldn't even do business with Joseph if he's gone through all of this. We're told that he is a just man. That means that he follows the laws of God. And this is a, this is a problem. This is a problem, and we, we have it all the time in our lives. It's not just something that faces Joseph. If we're going to be true to God's laws and God's call, sometimes there's a conflict between what is demanded of the law, justice, but also grace and forgiveness, which is also demanded of the law, right? So what is the line between doing what's right based on the law and doing what's right based on the love and care that the law demands? And we probably all had situations where what we should do is get mad and get revenge. But what God subtly calls us to is grace and forgiveness. And when that conflict happens, it's hard. So you can imagine that Joseph has been, been, been going over this. Okay? And he's got a plan. So what's his plan? He's going to divorce her quietly. If he divorces her quietly, then those rumors about him are going to be true. Like everybody's going to think that Joseph's the father, or at least suspect, because he didn't accuse her. And so what is he really doing? Actually, he's, he's, he's got this plan, and the plan is, I will take on some of Mary's shame to protect her so that she is not stoned. This is actually a really brave moment for Joseph. Okay, Everybody's going to think it's mine, because I don't accuse her, but it's not mine, so I don't want to lie and say that it's mine. So I'm going to divorce her quietly. And what he's actually saying is, I will share in the shame of Mary my entire life to try to protect her, even though I was wronged. I wonder how many months he's been agonizing over this. Text doesn't give us a timeline. But if she tells before she goes to Elizabeth, he may have had three or four months of agonizing over this decision and trying to decide what to do. And makes up his mind. I'm not willing to put her to shame. I will divorce her quietly. I will carry part of her shame in order to protect her. But also, I will not claim that which I did not do anything wrong. And so, however long this takes, Joseph says he's going to do that. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, and don't you think, all day and night, <laughs> how distracted was he at work? How hard was it for Joseph to sleep? As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. We don't know how long Joseph's been wrestling with this, with this, but suddenly he has a dream. And it's not entirely clear whether it's a dream like he fell asleep or more like a dream like a vision. Is this kind of a daydream? Or is he, is he caught up of, in a vision? Or is he actually like taking a nap or he's going to bed at night and he gets this dream where an angel comes? Just called an angel of the Lord, unlike Luke, who gives the name Gabriel to the angel that goes to Zechariah and Mary. This angel is unnamed. 
But Gabriel does know Joseph's name, just like, or this angel does know Joseph's name, just like Gabriel knew Zechariah and knew Mary. And we've been wrestling in this series with what angels really are. And I've tried to make the case that angels are not people. People do not become angels when they die. They are not little cupids either. Angels are these heavenly beings that God made for God's purposes. That they seem to be able to show up and be visible, like with Mary. They seem to be able to interact with this world, like an angel standing in the way of Balaam and his donkey. There's even a text in Acts where angels break some of the apostles out of prison. Great, It's a great story. you got to read that one when you get home. Okay, but actually angels are not from our earth. They're not terrestrial the way we are. They're not extraterrestrial either, as if they're from another planet. They are not terrestrial, super terrestrial. They are not from the world. And you can see that when an angel shows up here in a dream. You can dream about something. All kinds of weird stuff can show up in your dreams, right? Okay, but, but that's just your dreams working. But an angel actually coming to you and delivering a message in your dream shows you that angels are really something different. And inside Joseph's dream, the angel tells him not to fear to take Mary as his wife. Angels always say, do not fear. Like most of the time, angels, when they're seen, they say, do not be afraid or do not fear. This time, though, the angel doesn't say, don't be afraid because of me. Maybe because it's a dream, it's a little less intimidating. Or maybe, maybe the angel knows that what Joseph's really terrified of is the situation that he's in. Of course, any marriage is a little bit terrifying, right? So, don't be afraid to take Mary. Joseph is told then that the child is from the Holy Spirit. The angel is confirming the wild excuse that Mary had to have given him. Okay, so the angel says, hey, Holy Spirit did this. Okay, I am sure that Mary had tried to tell him that. I'm sure Mary's parents had tried to make this argument. But now he hears it from the angel in his dream. And that he should name the child Jesus, meaning saving. The word Jesus is actually the same name, really, as the word uh, Joshua. Okay, in Hebrew, it's Yeshua and Yahshua. Okay, it's just different vowels for this same word, Jesus, Joshua, saving. And the angel tells him where he will save the people from their sin. One of the things I love about the angels in these stories, I think it's important to note, is that the angels are not just delivering message as if they are the postman. Okay? They're not just reading off a cue card, right? God says that you are to have the child and name him Jesus. Now, these angels, they get it. They know the plans. They know the purposes. They know where it fits within the grander scheme. They explain what's happening. You're going to name him Jesus, and here's why. My big question for this story is, how come Joseph gets an angel in a dream? You ever thought about that? I mean, if there was one character that you might suggest really needs to hear this from an angel in person, it might be Joseph. Okay? Zechariah gets an angel in person, in a spot. Mary gets an angel in a person, uh, in person, in a spot. Why does Joseph get an angel in a dream? That seems to be a weird difference. 
Well, for one, we might wonder if it's part of his namesake. If you go back in your Bible, there's this other character named Joseph. And one of the things that that character is known for is the interpretation of what? Dreams. Okay, dreams are part of what gets him out of prison. Dreams are part of how he saves all of Egypt and saves his entire family with him. Joseph is known for dreams. And so maybe this Joseph's connection to dreams is part of his namesake's history with dreams. But also, I got to say that maybe Joseph can handle it. Okay, Zechariah gets an angel in the flesh and still... Zechariah's like, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> okay, He's got to be deaf and mute for months to be able to get it through his head what's going on. Joseph seems to be willing to accept that, wanting to accept that, faithfully responding. In fact, Joseph doesn't even talk back to the angel, although maybe you can't really talk back in a dream. <laughs> but maybe it's that Joseph can handle it. What if we took seriously the idea that God speaks to each of us differently based on who we are and how he thinks we will hear it best? What if some of us just need a little vision, just need a little dream? What if some of us need to be mute for a little while to get it through our thick skulls? And God knows that for each of us, how he speaks to us is going to be different. Here's the advantage of that. The advantage of that is, just because so-and-so hears from God so clearly and I don't, doesn't mean there's something wrong with me then. It just may mean God speaks to me in different ways. I think that's actually very freeing. There's not a lot of pressure. Maybe God speaks to me different than he speaks to you. Joseph gets dreams. And those are enough for Joseph. Those are enough for Joseph to take all of his plans that he's been working and chuck them out the window and go with God's plans. As we continue the text, we see the care that Matthew takes to make sure the reader is making a connection with the Old Testament. Matthew does this so often. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew connects this to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. You can go back and look at those verses for yourself. The word in Isaiah doesn't necessarily mean virgin. It just seems to mean in, in Hebrew, it's just a young woman. The assumption is that if you have a young woman in those days, that they were a virgin. And the, the, they seem to be looking for a more immediate king from that time and from that period when Isaiah is writing it. But Matthew goes back and links up with that and says, oh, but this was also, maybe if Isaiah didn't even know it, he was predicting something about Jesus. Then Joseph responds. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph responds. He does what the angel of the Lord tells him. He doesn't say anything back to the angel. Of course, maybe in a dream he can't. But he went ahead and, and married his wife, Mary, but he didn't know her. And by the way, when the Bible says know her like this, it is literally know her in the biblical sense. He did not sleep with her until after the baby was born, even though he had already married her and took her into his house. 
He may have had to do that, by the way, because of her family, her brothers, her parents. I mean, how many people can you talk into this Holy Spirit caused me to get pregnant excuse? This may also be why when there's a census, Joseph takes her with him because she's protecting her from, his, from the family and from the community that would have been accusing her. And then he names the child Jesus, showing that he followed all the way through with what the angel had told him. And I love the simple faith of Joseph. He follows the dream, answers the call, he raises the child. And this will not be the last time that Joseph gets an angel in a dream either. If you keep reading the story, the wise men come. And then when the wise men are done seeing Jesus, they are warned in a dream, we assume by an angel, it doesn't say that as specifically with the wise men, that they are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to go back by another way. And then we pick the story up in Matthew 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of, the, of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. So again, angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream. Joseph responds and saves the child and saves Mary. Then Matthew, then Joseph gets another dream. But when Herod had died, this is verse 19 now, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. He rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that the son of Herod was, was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went to live in a city called Nazareth. So again and again and again, Joseph gets angels in dreams warning him. And again and again and again, this is what's so amazing about Joseph. He responds. He listens. He goes. So Joseph gets an angel in a dream to take, his, take Mary as his wife. The wise men get an angelic dream to go home by another way. Joseph gets an angelic dream to go to Egypt. Joseph gets an angelic dream to go to Israel. And Joseph gets an angelic dream to go to Nazareth. And time and time again, both the wise men and Joseph hear the plans and follow. Time and time again, they listen to the dreams. Again and again, Joseph is brave and strong. He's caring and decisive. And he did get to be a father. Maybe the most important fatherly figure in all of history. I mean, what happens to the Jesus story if Joseph doesn't listen? If he doesn't flee to Egypt to protect the family? He responds to the dream. So my question for you is, what are you dreaming about? What are you dreaming about? What might God be speaking to you? Maybe in your dreams, maybe in your daydreams, maybe in this little voice in the back of your head. Maybe it's not an angel. Maybe it's just an intuition you have. But I think God gives us dreams and ideas and leadings and messages. 
And I pray for the sake of what Jesus wants to do now, that we would listen to those dreams and listen to those callings. May we all respond with the faithfulness of Joseph.